Sometimes it's nice to hear about people's journeys in the sports world. We've developed this podcast to host folks who've experienced life through that lens to let them share their stories. So grab your favorite beverage and join us for stories in sports in the coffee pod. Once again, thank you so much for coming out with us. My pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. This will be fun. Taking time with your busy schedule and everything, I can only imagine. That's okay. Uh, We're here with Marsha Sharp, Coach Marsha Sharp, I should say, legendary coach for Texas Tech women's basketball and has accomplished so much, not only for the university, but for all the athletes involved in the university and really just kind of sports in general across the board, I would say. Uh, I like to do research, obviously, before I talk with our guests, and uh, I'm starting the night before, and it's uh, almost three o'clock, or no, almost four o'clock in the afternoon now, and I'm starting last night, and I'm sitting here looking at everything you've achieved, and I'm like, I'm not sure I have enough time (laughs) to do this (laughs) research, but thank you again for coming out. Um, Before we get started, kind uh, kind of talking in depth about your involvement with Texas Tech University now as it stands with the Marsha Sharp Center and everything, the Leadership Academy, I'd like to get some background kind of on you, which I'm sure you've explained before, but I'd love to hear it for, for the sake of this podcast to, for you to talk about kind of where you grew up, what that was like, because I'm a big believer in kind of how that shapes the rest of your life. Certainly. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that and, and the other things that we're going to have a chance to talk about today. Um, I actually was, my, my background when I was a, a youngster is really kind of interesting, Um my dad was in the service, and he was stationed in the state of Washington. So I was born on Whidbey Island in Washington State, Mount Vernon, uh, Washington, and um, uh, was born on a naval base. Um, we moved back to Texas fairly soon, and having said that, I'm probably the only family family member in generations of Sharps that wasn't born in the state of Texas, so I always oh, wow. take a little grief about yeah. that. But I like to say I got back as quick as I can, so, as, as I could, and that was when I was about uh, two years old. So right. um, from then on, I, I have lived around um, in different places in Texas. My dad went to Texas Tech after he got out of the service and got his degree, and so he started his career when I was about five years old. And we lived in some different cities um, around the state. I went to school actually in Lubbock my first five years uh, to, through the fifth grade. And my family was in Tuya, where my parents grew up, and my dad worked for banks in this area um, his whole life. So um, I'm pretty much not only a Texan, but a West Texan at heart. And uh, I think it really was valuable to me when I started my career that I, first of all, loved this part of the country. I wanted to be here. And uh, I knew so much about it and all the small towns and everybody that uh, was a part of this, all of my family and all my uh, circle of friends and everyone uh, has been built around West Texas my whole life. I went to Wayland Baptist, which was an amazing experience for me because at that time it was one of the only universities in the country that played women's basketball. I wasn't a great player. I was adequate. And when you went to Wayland, uh, everybody there were the greatest players in the country because there were no other choices. So I didn't make the varsity team. devastated me. But when I was a junior, I began to coach their freshman team, which wound up and was the greatest gift I could have been given because I coached uh, a freshman team under two Hall of Fame coaches there, Harley Redden and Dean Weiss, um, and finished my degree and actually did a, a graduate assistantship for one year there. Went to Lockney High School for six years as a high school coach. Um, did a little bit of everything there, which was another great step in my journey because um, I got to do the whole gamut. I coached the freshman JV and varsity girls basketball and track teams, taught a couple of PE classes, two English classes, was a junior class sponsor, cheerleading sponsor, and I always like to say, just for good measure, I swept the floor between every class. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those from the grassroots up, you came, and um, I wouldn't give anything for that time because I think it taught me a lot of different jobs. Uh, I, I learned um, even more of a work ethic than maybe I had before I went, and all of those things served me very well. I'm kind of an unusual person in the fact that uh, Lockney High School and Texas Tech were the only two places I've ever worked in my adult life. And 
Um, that's a little bit unusual in the right. coaching world. Yeah. The other thing that's unusual is not many people get a chance to do it at home anymore. You have to make changes and move around the country if you're going to be a collegiate coach in most sports. And so I feel unbelievably blessed and very fortunate that I was able to to have my whole career at one university that I loved so much. And as you can imagine, since my dad was a graduate uh, from my early days, I can remember him listening to Jack Dale on the radio, um, calling all of the football and basketball games and knew a lot about sports and the history of tech uh, Mm -hmm. before I ever became a part of it. And I think uh, that even adds uh, to my excitement about being able to do what I've done in my career. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask, because this has actually become kind of a common theme with our guests is that where they get to the point they are at now really came from making the most of what they were given and, and the opportunities that they had, never taking anything for granted, which sounds absolutely what you touched on with being at Wayland Baptist and then kind of coming here to Tech and getting all your experience as a grad assistant coach, even prior to that coaching as a, a junior. Um, at what point did you really feel like coaching may have become a calling for you? You know, it was really interesting. When I went to Wayland, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. That was what my uh, whole thought process was when I was in high school and even after I got there. But it just uh, happened for me that I just kept coming back to the sport. Um, I had loved to play. I, I loved several sports when I was growing up, but basketball was the main one you could play in the high schools in Texas, and so I was really passionate about doing that. All of a sudden, it became apparent to me that if you're that passionate about something, you should find a career in it, because I think all of us should be that passionate about what we choose to do. We work too many hours in our lives not to be, not to feel that way about what we do. So for me, it was sort of a a natural progression from not really having as strong a direction as I needed to when I went to school to recognizing that the experiences that I had, the people I had an opportunity to be around were leading me to something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So uh, it was a really interesting time, as you probably know, if you know uh, the history of a lot of things in our country. Um, Title IX was in its infancy in the early 70s, and that's when I was at Wayland. Um, When I came out of there, it was just beginning to become a law that people were actually recognizing. It became a law, really, before a lot of people put it into practice. Um, By the time I got to Tech, they were well on their way, mainly because of Janine McCaney and the work that she had done as an athletic director of the women's programs at Tech. Um, She put us on the road to success. We had a lot of administrators at Texas Tech who believed that Title IX was the right thing to do, not only the law, And I think that made a big difference. A lot of universities didn't start as early as we did in their programming for women's athletics. And um, it made an enormous difference in my life. Um, Title IX really changed the direction of so many women, not only in the world of sports, but I like to say now when you think about the number of women in law school and in medical school, none of that was possible before Title IX, before you know, equal opportunities had to be given to women. And uh, I think it was probably, in my mind, the most important piece of legislation in the 20th century. Of course, uh, the civil rights movement was a big piece of it. But when you think about that, uh, a piece of legislation that impacted half of our population, uh, that's a really big piece to it. And and I was really fortunate that I was in on the ground floor of it and uh, really was a piece of it at Texas Tech and trying to move that legislation forward and fought for some rights for women to do things in athletics. And it's been a, a really uh, piece that has made me really proud and really grateful that I got to be a cha- ha- have a chance to be a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, you're talking about uh, something that is advocated for half the population of the of the country, and that and that is an excellent point that not a lot of people make. Not to mention, those two things really work in tandem with the civil rights and Title IX. I mean, we're talking about equal opportunities no for question. all sorts of people, and and n- no um, specific uh, exception made to women, right? That's, and that's exactly right. And that is actually something that has helped pave our country. And I think you bring up a good point with just in all facets, not just not. Sp- particularly in sport, like it's most commonly known as, but law school, medical school, and things like that. It's absolutely true. And most universities, I believe, now are showing 
a higher percentage of women than men yes. across the board actually enrolled. And so that all plays to that as well. So kind of shifting gears here, uh, I'm wanting to kind of talk about now where you're at. I mean, I, I would love so much to go over kind of your accolades and everything because you've accomplished so much national championship winner in 1993 here at Texas Tech with a s over 75% career winning percentage. Um, all of that. I feel like we're just glossing over it because that's not entirely the point of us having you here today, even though the sport fan in me wants to talk about that for hours uh -huh. and hours and hours. Um, but because you've accomplished all that, and uh, specifically, I thought an interesting point that you made was that you grew up in this region. You you knew the area so well. You knew what it was like growing up in a smaller town. You mentioned specifically Tulia, and that's where you went to high school, which I believe is a town of, I mean, we're talking around 5,000 roughly. Yes. And so you know that. And what I also found was that you had uh, Cheryl Swoops, who was quite possibly the most popular women's basketball player, maybe of all time. I mean, th with a name like that, yes. it's hard not to be Hard anyway. not, to, not to recognize it, isn't it? <laughs> right. Uh, she grew up in... Uh, Brownfield. Brownfield, Texas, which is about 20 miles away from Lubbock, roughly. That's correct. And I imagine that played a big role. You growing up in a small town outside of Lubbock. She grew up in a small town outside of Lubbock. I mean, uh, recruiting that recruiting process really would have, I, I can imagine, helped out Cheryl come here and, and make a big impact. Well, no question. And, uh, you know, we were so fortunate when we won the national championship. We had basically West Texas kids. We had three others that were part of that team that were really instrumental parts. But for the most part, they came from small communities in West Texas. And it, we sort of assumed the mentality of us against the world, kind of a West Texas mentality of let's go outwork people and, you know, put ourselves on the map. And certainly it was all built around swoops and her amazing talent. Uh, I've said it a million times that I know I'm probably very partial here, but I think she was the best player of her generation. And I think you can point to that in the, the ways that she uh, led the Houston teams in the WNBA and uh, three Olympic teams here to go medals and uh, the, the pieces that she put together within those teams and the things that she did – were pretty amazing, and uh, I'm just so proud that uh, she was here at Tech and that she got to win a national championship because you always hope that great players get to experience that. Um, everybody on our team was better because she was here because she would just take people's games to the level that they needed to around her to have a chance to win, and I was so blessed to get to coach them. They were just an amazing group. But it was a lot of, uh, of work ethic, West Texas-type mentality, small-town kids that just uh, really uh, came together and, and formed a great team. I've said a lot of times that uh, she was good enough to lead any team to a national championship, but I do think it took a special group of unselfish kids to allow that to happen. Because if anybody on that team had, you know, been worrying about how many points they were able to score, or how much recognition they were going to get and were jealous of anything that was going on with her, it would have been much more difficult to do what we did. And there was none of that. They understood the goal was for us to play as long as we could play and get as close as we could to a national championship. And because they played with that mentality, we were able to do great things. You know, that sounds actually very reminiscent of a lot of other championship squads that you see in all other types oh. of sports as well. So going off of that, uh, we, we, talked a, we touched a little bit on kind of what you do here for Texas Tech, but I want to expound on that. Specifically, you've developed – the or and you've contributed to the overall success of the Marsha Sharp Leadership Academy here at Texas Tech, which is specifically built for athletes that come to the school of any type of sport. Uh, do you want to explain to us exactly kind of what the purpose of that is? And the official title is uh, Fearless Champions Leadership Academy, and it's been such a fabulous project for me to work on. Um, first of all, I think because when I was coaching, one of the things that I recognized we had the the greatest opportunity and maybe the biggest responsibility to do was for people to leave this university um, a lot more educated and a lot more in tune with themselves than they were when they came. And by that, I mean we try to help them define value systems, um, understand the ability that they have because of the platforms they have in athletics to impact other people's lives. We try to give them some skills that we hope 
uh, empower them and give them some uh, values and systems available to them that really protect them and move them forward in their lives. Um, certainly, we hope it impacts our teams. We hope that it makes us better teams because we're more grounded and maybe stronger charactered people. But the main goal is to make sure that when they leave Texas Tech, they have some ideas and skills that are going to take care of them for the rest of their lives and put them in a whole different position as far as their thought processes are concerned. Um, Kirby Holcutt is amazing. Our director of athletics really, uh, from the day one when I came back to the department to begin working with him on this project, was adamant that we put as many systems and programming, as much programming in place as we could to attempt to uh, empower them in a lot of ways. Um, you and I talked before we started today about the social media piece. And for athletes in particular, it's such a difficult journey. Well, it, and it's funny you mentioned that timeliness-wise. I mean, we just saw specifically a player get drafted into the NFL. And and because of social media and his uh, ill use of that and, yeah. and, and uh, not very good understanding of exactly how to portray himself on social media, dropped 10 spots from about – Projected from number three in the draft to about number 13. Yes. Cost him probably $7 million. That's right. You know, it's just amazing what what a tool that is. Hopefully in positive ways most of the time, but also negative. And when you live in a glass house like a lot of athletes do, particularly in a community like Lubbock that's so driven by the university itself, um, it becomes an issue that you have to be aware of all the time. There are times when you are out and about just minding your own business, um, that someone takes a picture or does, you know, uh, takes a video or something of you that you never know happened until it appears someplace else. So it's really um, something we have to, we try to spend a great deal of, a, of time uh, training athletes, talking with them about those issues and making sure that they protect themselves as much as they can so that People can't take advantage of that or they don't put themselves or their families or the university or their teams in a, in a negative light if they can help it. Uh, there are so many issues that we deal with in the academy itself, that, but it's been a really great project for me and something that is my passion and something that I have loved working on every day. Now, two things that I love that you said that I want to point out, uh, one of which saying that you want them – it's a – big goal of the university for them to leave better than when they came in. I think that's something that everybody should strive for in, in whatever position they find themselves in, as well as you said, they're on a platform, you know, and it's almost whether they like it or not as athletes no of the university, they're on a platform. And it kind of speaks to that famous quote from Spider-Man, right? Uncle Ben telling them with great power comes great responsibility. Well, there you go. It's kind of the same idea. And I, and I love that you emphasize that. Now, Along those lines, uh, you're talking about building leaders from these athletes, right? The whole goal is for them to specifically develop six components of leadership that I actually have written down that you've really emphasized in this in the in the leadership academy is character and leadership, community service, wellness and life skills, professional development, career education, and lecture series. Mm -hmm. Now, in your experience. Uh, in recruiting, is there was there any key on that? Well, and obviously the Leadership Academy that you've helped create came after your coaching career. But as you were recruiting players, did you specifically try and point out the, those that kind of seemed like leaders in their high school? Uh, you want to take us through that and kind of maybe any examples of what looked like a good leader and thought so, thought someone that could really make a difference? Sure. I think you usually can see that, uh, even in high school kids, that either by watching them with their teams or having conversations with them or even having conversations with the people that are closest to them about their value systems and the things that are important to them, um, you can normally see kids who are natural leaders. And I, I believe that you can build leaders. I don't think you have to be a natural leader, but sometimes in when kids are early, they are not only the ones that maybe are organizing all the games and doing things like that, but to me, one of the things that was always even more important than that is the ones that were the most compassionate, that didn't want anybody to be left out. 
if you ever find kids like that that are taken care of, maybe the underdog or someone around them that needs a little bit of special attention, it normally points you to to folks that have a great desire uh, to put people around them and take them someplace that they don't believe that they could ever go. Uh, those to me are the leaders that really will impact our world at the biggest level. And I was very fortunate to coach a lot of them. I coached some kids that were great leaders for us at Tech and have gone out into the professional world and have done great things. They lead their families all the time. They have children who, you know, they're doing amazing things with. But um, I kind of felt like that maybe the next thing I was supposed to do in my career was to do it on a broader base. So instead of me working with 15 players a year, once I decided that I had had enough of the rat race of coaching and, um, you know, really I was ready to take on a different challenge, the opportunity I have now to work with over 400 athletes a year, all with those kinds of activities, character, leadership, life skills development, all those things, what an amazing gift to me to be able to use the platform that I was blessed to have been given through our uh, success with the women's program here to really impact those kids on a deeper level all the way across the department. Great. Yeah, I can't agree more with that. And you saying that really kind of identifying what you what you think uh, makes a great leader is actually quite profound, I think, because I haven't heard that too much. And those that have compassion to lift others up to a a, like a new level that they didn't even think they could reach on their own. That's not very talked. That's not talked about a whole <laughs> no. lot. And I think it, it it is a concept that I really believe that if you really watch uh, some of the best leaders or you study some uh, from our history, um, maybe if it wasn't even the most noticeable thing about them, uh, they had the power to move people from one spot in their life to another with great regularity. And I think that a lot of times uh, that's based on their understanding of the human spirit and and taking people where they are in their world and empowering them to move someplace else to a different level. And I've always felt like that that was the key to performing a great team is to really, it doesn't make any difference if you're the best player on the team or the 12th player on the team or in some sports even further down the line than that. But the fact that you feel like it's you're valuable and that it's important that you uh, really come every day with a certain mentality to try to make everyone around you better, well, that that's pretty much compassion that when you are attempting to change someone else's life, take them to a different level, to me, it's a, it's a big piece of it. Absolutely. And it really speaks to what we were talking about earlier with those leaders on the, on the specifically on the basketball court. You're talking about Michael Jordan and Cheryl Swoops. Those are the types that see people that can contribute, and even the people that can contribute don't even realize that about themselves. And that's that's an amazing point for for leaders across the board is that they're the ones lifting them up, right? That's how it works in a sports mm-hmm. context. But I like how you say also in in historical context that it it, it when somebody feels valuable, they're going to want to be valuable, and the leader is who's going to make them feel valuable. Specifically, that reminds me, I was reading up the other day on kind of what makes Google special, some of the things that they employ in their own business, and one of which was actually something so simple that really speaks to this as well, and that's they, whenever they're in a meeting and they're discussing kind of brainstorming new ideas, new plans, new directions to go, if there's somebody in that group that hasn't spoken up a whole lot, they're there, they're listening, it's as simple as asking that person, hey, so-and-so, what do you think? What do you think What about, about what we've talked about? Do you have any ideas of your own? And that simple little thing really helps the synergy grow, really helps them feel valuable, really helps perpetuate the overall goals of the whole team. There's no question. I think it becomes one of the most important pieces. And we have great coaches at Texas Tech. They all get this. Uh, to be able to be a support system underneath all of that, that – you know, I don't deal with anything from a coaching perspective in any sport, but to attempt to um, give every kid that comes to that university some value, uh, to really make them understand what the potential is for them as people, and then allow them to turn that into the opportunities they have as athletes to really become a big part of a team 
is a really special thing to do. Let me go back to the national championship team because I think this is a really good example of of how it worked with swoops. Um, Cheryl decided about three-fourths of the way through the season that uh, she really wanted to our freshmen to be engaged uh, in the in the game. We had three freshmen. One of them played in a backup role. Two of them didn't play at all on that team. Uh, they did later in their careers and were good players for us, but they were just behind some people uh, in that in that particular year. She decided that she was going to make them her special project, and so she would tell them, I can't do this without you. I cannot uh, stay strong enough to do all the things I need to do on the floor if you don't help me. So you've got to keep encouraging me. You've got to keep helping me. You've got to be there for me. You've got to pray for me. You've got to do all these things to try to keep me strong enough for us to go win the games we need to win. And she gave them such an important role in that team, and it was so much fun to watch them. When there would be a timeout, they would sprint off the bench with towels and water <laughs> going for swoops, you know, to, to make sure, and they were encouraging her all the way back, you've got this, everything's great, you know, all this is so special, da-da-da, all the way till we got started talking in the timeout about game strategy. All the time, it was like she had her own little group of bodyguards around her, and they took great care of her. But you know, when we put those national championship rings on, those kids thought that they had been just as important a part of that as anybody on that team. If she had not taken that time to do that, I don't know if they would have had that same feeling or not. It was the most special dynamic I've ever watched for kids that were on the end of your bench and how engaged they became because the superstar understood that it was important to have every person in that group uh, on the same page uh, through all of those contests. And um, I think it's a, a great reminder and story about how it should work and actually how it should work in our lives. And that's what I spend my time now doing is, you know, is there somebody over here that's a little disenfranchised? Is there somebody that needs to be included that maybe doesn't have the skills or, or the self-esteem that they need to do great things in their life, why would we allow that person not to have every opportunity to change that or gain those skills to go out and be able to impact the world in any way that they wanted to? So that probably sounds like a preacher a little bit, but hey. it's exactly what I think I see as my mission now every day when I go to work. Well, I think you've earned that to be able. That's why we have you here, right? Please preach to us, right? Tell us what you know. Uh, that story is a great story. I love that. Uh, specifically, you noted how they actually felt like they were contributors to the national championship because they were. They were Absolutely. contributors. And, and, and Cheryl Soups was able to recognize that everybody, every piece has a big part of the puzzle. No question. And, and so that just was able to give them, make them so much more cohesive and everybody was able to perform that much better. I love that. Going off of that, uh, in terms of the Marsha Sharp Center Leadership Academy, sorry, mm -hmm. I'm sure I botched right. the title, but uh, could you tell me the title one more time, the official title? Fearless Champions. Fearless Champions Leadership Le Academy. Leadership Academy, mm -hmm. uh, which is located at the Marsha Sharp Center. That's correct. Okay. Um, what is what are some of your favorite stories coming out of that situation when you're talking about an athlete that comes in not thinking maybe they're as valuable for anything outside of sports they're there just to play whatever sport they came to play but outside of life they're just kind of disinterested or disenchanted or disenfranchised as you put it uh do you have any experiences that you'd like to share of somebody kind of realizing and it doesn't need to be specific you don't yeah. need to point out anybody in general but well, I think we, as we like to see, we see light bulbs come on all the time. Um, you've heard some programming, and maybe this is more of a church thing, that you take care of people from cradle to the grave. Well, in our particular scenario, we try to take care of people from the time they step foot on our campus as freshmen all the way through um, their final experience on the field or court and then their life, their transition into life after athletics, which, by the way, is a very difficult time. Most of our athletes have been known as an athlete since they were seven years old. And so to wake up at the end of your senior season um, and you're finished as an athlete, 
that's a tough transition. It was a hard transition for me when I wasn't the coach anymore. I, I had transferred into a different time in my in my life. Uh, it's it's a little traumatic for people sometimes to because it's your identity, and so from the time they're here uh, at the beginning of their careers till afterwards, we try to uh, set them on a track to be ready to make that transition. Um, the life skills classes we have do everything from teach young freshmen how to use debit cards to paying parking tickets and not letting them sit in your back seat to um, any type of uh, coping skills, uh, stress management, uh, time management, all those opportunities and life skill classes and a summer bridge program that we have. Um, so we impact them from the very beginning of, of their time here. After that, they go into a period of time when we attempt to get them in the right career choices for them so that, as you and I talked about earlier, they're passionate about the things that they're able to do when they leave. Um, we do some leadership programming, have a leadership class on Monday nights for the top two or three leaders of every sport come together in one classroom. We have all the, all the names that you would recognize in that class. Most of them are sophomores, some juniors, because we want them to be here to lead our teams a little bit longer after we hope we give them a skill base to do that. Uh, that class spends one-third of the class learning how to lead yourself, value systems and things. Second half, about how to lead your team. The third half of that class is all about big-picture leadership and how you're going to impact the world. Um, all the way through to their senior year, when they finish their eligibility pretty much, and we do a career education piece with them that talks about everything from resume preparation to networking to etiquette skills. All of those mock interviews, we have a big senior dinner for them where we honor all of our seniors. All their head coaches and people from the community are, are present for that. And we give them, hopefully, uh, the right skills to go out and find the right job for them so that they're not only prepared, but they're also excited about making the transition, where otherwise it's a little bit of a scary proposition for them if they don't get to go pro in some sport. So basically, all that programming is, is underneath the academy and the things that we're hoping that we can do to, to get them ready to do great things in their world. It's, it's really nothing. They shouldn't be scared about it. They should almost look forward to it like a new challenge. You know, they they were able to be so successful in their sport because they were competitive and they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer this hill. Well, now they've faced a new hill, but they can absolutely conquer it. And I guess that's what this leadership Academy is for is to help them face it and be ready for it. Absolutely. Just give them life skills, you know, that uh, really uh, help them mold their own lives and have a good feel about themselves and what they're all about and be able to, uh, really process that and, and know that uh, there are so many great things that are going to happen to you after you're 21 years old. You know, that's a, you've got a long life left, and how best are you going to share that with other people, and what skills do you need to be successful in whatever area you choose, and certainly with your family and your friends and all the folks that are in your inner circle, and how are you going to move forward? I think... Uh, it's really been a very special process to work through and to uh, watch, as I said to begin that, with light bulbs come on and watch uh, kids gain skills that really will follow them for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And I, I want to point out, too, uh, something I failed to mention earlier, actually, that I absolutely wanted to bring up because it's so pertainable to what we're talking about specifically. And also really what gives you the, the pedestal that you're on, I, as I believe, and, th and that's whether or not you like to believe that you are on a pedestal. That's just how it is because of what you've accomplished. Now, uh, you have a near-perfect graduation rate for your college athletes while you were a coach. You know, I was, yes, we were really fortunate. First of all, we, we, we coached great kids. I think one of the things in women's sports that's a little different than men is that the professional opportunities – even if they're there, um, are not quite as uh, lucrative. You're not going to make a living in five or six years that can support you for the rest of your life. I use that to our advantage, that um, you've got to get a degree. Whether you play pro basketball or whatever, you still are going to need that degree. You're going to have to do something when you get finished playing. Um, it gave us a great background to do that. 
but more than that, uh, I think our players were quality individuals who understood that they really wanted to do something that was going to make a big difference in their world and be able to support families and do things that they wanted to do. And um, it really was interesting because in the early years, we didn't have academic counselors, and uh, <clears throat> that mostly fell on my coaching staff and, and myself, and we worked really hard to make sure that nobody fell through the cracks. As we went through it and the academic staff got bigger and stronger, um, we kind of shifted some of those responsibilities. But I think by that time it had become such a tradition with our players that if you come here, you graduate. And I think a lot of other women's programs felt that same tradition. But it was so important to us that uh, that they got those degrees. I can remember sitting in recruits' homes my whole career and telling them and their parents, if you came to Texas Tech and played for me for four years and we won all kinds of championships and you held trophies up, but you didn't get an education, you didn't have your degree, I would have used you for four years. I'm not going to let that happen. You're going to leave here with what should be the most important thing that you came for, and that's to get that degree. So... We were fortunate that uh, I think all but three of them got degrees, and I'm still working on two of those. Oh, yeah. To see if we can't get them here and finish up a few hours and be up and running again. <laughs> well, that's actually a lot, uh, another thing that uh, was mentioned earlier in a podcast that we had with Felicia Martin, who's an associate athletic director here. She pointed out that one of the big programs they have in store here is that athletes can actually come back mm-hmm. uh, and finish their degree, which is an amazing uh system that they have yes. going on. Felicia Martin, by the way, is fabulous. She's so outstanding at what she does. And there are so many kids who um, have degrees because she didn't give up on them. Uh, she's an amazing piece of our athletic department. And actually, we work pretty closely together. Some of the programming we do and what she does through academics is pretty close to the same things. And so uh, we spend a lot of time working on the same projects. And I think she's outstanding. Oh, and she really only had great things to say about you as well. So, okay. So it's pretty clear that you've impacted plenty of athletes' lives um, and people around you. And it's it's been amazing uh, to hear these stories of what you've done. And it, it it's really sad to see now what, what kind of tends to be popular necessarily with some schools is the one and done approach and how mm-hmm. you mentioned that if they were to come here for four years, let alone one, that and without a degree, you would have used them. And that's such a that's a concept that I feel like more coaches could kind of take on. And that if they were to think really the most important thing here isn't that they go and play professionally for however many years, because you're right, likely they won't be able to sustain a living just off of those years played in that professional area. But that it really comes through the education, that their value really is recognized more outside of their sport. And it's kind of a tragedy what we're seeing now in more popular basketball programs that win these national championships, but it's really all for naught. Yeah. You know, there's such a fine line there, and it's it's such a great discussion piece. And it would be so interesting to have a panel sometime uh, that talked about this. And there are some of those on the national level right now. So hard to know if you've got particularly a guy who plays basketball and plays for one year and and does really good things and then gets to go to the NBA. And immediately um, when he becomes an NBA player, he might become a multimillionaire. He might have a signing bonus of $25 million or more. And his entire lifetime he could work at another job and never make that kind of money. But how do you balance that with the things that you should be getting on the perimeter um, at a university from all of the other guiding lessons that you hope that are there. And it's so amazing to watch some of those people and how they handle their life after the fact. And you wish that there had been a little bit more guidance along the way. Um, We had a group that came into Tech about two weeks ago uh, that did some financial Uh, education for some of our athletes. Uh, Most all of our teams participated. And one of the things that they said that was kind of staggering to me, and I'm not going to know the exact number, but the lifespan uh, of a career of a professional football player, and that's taking into account all of the uh, Peyton Mannings and Tom Brady's that play for a long time, 
even including those numbers in it, the span is a little over four years. I think it's even long. less now. Is it? Yeah. It's amazing to yeah. me that, um, you know, that's how long they play. So now you've got a lifetime, you know, mm-hmm. to do what? Even if you have the money, what are you going to do that is going to not only uh, make you feel purposeful, but to really impact other lives? And the basketball area is about the same for men. So, you know, those are the two sports where you can make the most money probably unless you're just an amazing golfer like Jordan Spieth or whatever. But for the most part, those are the ones that have an opportunity to make the money very quickly. They also gave a stat about how many of those players, both in professional basketball and football, um, are bankrupt, and it's staggering. Oh, there was a documentary. Uh, In fact, we mentioned this on the podcast with Felicia when she was here. Uh, called Broke, um, and it, and it's about all these former athletes that just blew through their paychecks, yeah. and and it was because most of them came without that knowledge, you That's know, right. that you were talking about. Yeah, so you know, hopefully, if they have a chance to hang around here for a while, and we're able to give them some financial education and some, um, you know, value systems things, and uh, that maybe even for their own life, if they do have an opportunity to make that kind of money, that maybe it's going to be a better situation for them and not something that causes them more pain than it should as they move forward. And I think those are the goals we're after. I work very closely with our coaches. I would never want anybody to think that the things we're doing are are more important than what a coach does. That would never be the case. Um, Our coaches are incredibly interested in the welfare of their athletes. We just sort of handle some programming for them that allows them to plug those kids into places that we think we can really uh, benefit them from having opportunities to learn more about different ways to manage their world. And uh, our coaches are incredibly involved with our programming. They let us know what areas they think we need to you know, really focus on and, and get going. And uh, we have some fantastic people around our kids, and they do a great job with them in so many ways. We're just uh, an added tool uh, to attempt to help those kids learn some skills that hopefully are going to make them sound people. No, no doubt about that. And there's no doubt that you have uh, really connected with so many lives around you and really helped that make their lives better. Uh, countless people, really, that you've impacted. And, and you know what? Myself included, because there's actually a freeway in Lubbock <laughs> called the Marsha Sharp Highway uh, that really makes it convenient for me to get where I need to go. It's a little easier to get around, isn't, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have a freeway named after you, and that's just uh, incredible. Well, thank you. I was really fortunate. I didn't know anything about it until they announced it, and uh, what a, a great gift. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting because— uh, so many of the people at Tech, well, most all of them now, are younger than 1993, and they don't really know too much about the career itself, but they know the freeway. They know, you know? the freeway. <laughs> it's been really interesting. I've kind of become the freeway woman. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing, but uh, it's kind of shifted a little bit. But I'm really grateful that you know it's still given me an opportunity to at least go um, try to send the message to people and that's all I want at this point is just an opportunity to try to uh, send messages that I know from personal experience and the fact that I'm old now. Oh, I don't know. You know In that fact, you I was— need to, you, need to, you need to know. You know, people need to know things and try to help them. I was actually—and I'm not even kidding. I was actually really surprised at how young you still are. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. It helped me when I quit coaching. I wasn't yeah. as stressed, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Yeah. It probably added a few uh, years to your life at <laughs> <yeah>. least. <laughs> Before we finish up here, there's actually just kind of some rapid questions I want to kind of okay. fire at you just to kind of get to awesome. know you a little better. Uh, feel free to ignore any of these questions, okay. or if you're not sure or whatever, we can pass. It's okay. All but right. I'm very curious. Um what is your favorite place to eat in Lubbock, and what is your favorite place to eat in the country? Because there's no doubt you've traveled across mm. everywhere. Um, I don't know if I know the particular restaurants in New York City that is my favorite one, but my favorite food would be uh, New York City Italian food. And most every corner, there's one that's fabulous. A lot of them are whole in the wall. Some of them, like Carmine's, are bigger. But 
that would be my favorite places to eat uh, are there. In Lubbock, um, I would have to say that Lisa West Double Nickel um, is my favorite place to eat. It's a steakhouse out on the slide road, and it's fabulous food. And she has the same fried cheese and everything that she has up here at Spanky's, so... No way. Yeah. That's what I love Spanky's for, the yeah. fried cheese. Well, you go there and have your steak and the fried cheese both. Good. It's a good combination. I'm going to have to get more of that information <laughs> from you after. I've actually never even heard of that place. Yeah. Uh, who do you look at uh, in, in terms of sports figures as somewhat of a, a great example or mentor? Mm-hmm. Well, I love the the way that uh, Mike Krzyzewski has run his programs at Duke. I think that that's been a really impressive uh, thing from several directions, um, mainly because of longevity. And I think I realized in my career that it's one thing to get there, it's another thing to stay there. And he's definitely stayed there and made adjustments that he's needed to, coached several generations of kids, and for that reason I think he's been pretty impressive and pretty amazing. Um, I really uh, love Peyton Manning uh, for the same reason. I think he was such an amazing student of the game of football, and I really loved the way he went about his business. He had such an amazing work ethic, and I loved that about him. Um, as far as women's basketball coaches, I, I am good friends and uh, really respect Gino, R.E.M. a lot, uh, Muffet McGraw a lot. I was really good friend with Pat Summit, and it's devastating what's happened mm-hmm. with her um, in the Big 12 Conference. I'm close friends with Sherry Cole still. Uh, there are a lot of people around the country that I have great relationships with and love to sit down still and talk about the sport and, uh, you know, the world of women's basketball and have a great time doing that across the country. Coach K, I couldn't agree more. I'm a yeah. big fan as well. In fact, a lot of people don't realize how he really helped bring Duke to where they mm-hmm. are. And it was really only him. Yes. You know, there wasn't, he didn't take over the reins from a good program, which is actually very similar to what you did with Texas Tech, is that Texas Tech wasn't this school known for great women's basketball. You kind of made that happen just as Coach K has made it happen with yeah. Duke. It's been it's an amazing story, and if anyone's ever been to Cameron Arena, uh, it's just a small gym with wooden bleachers mm-hmm. that those kids bounce up and down on, and the atmosphere in there is pretty amazing. When yeah. you think about, um, he really wanted to leave it right there. They could have built a big stadium, big arena. He didn't want that. He really wanted to have that old school type of uh, mentality and uh, enthusiasm in that in that gym, and it's really been special to. Watch him continue that year after year. Yeah, they do well with it. Favorite book? Man, that's hard. I've got. I read a lot. I, I really read a lot, and I, I want to first of all say this because it is a big part of what I am. Uh, I am a, a strong Christian, and the Bible is a really guiding force for me. If I was going to pick one book that I have read continuously over my life, and um, this morning was an example of that. Well, that would be something that was really important to me. Along with that, a book that Sarah Young writes that's called Jesus Calling um, is really, it's devotionals and daily uh, things that are really, really important. Um, I'm also uh, an Eleanor Roosevelt fan, so um, her autobiography, I think, has some amazing things in it. Um, There are a lot of books that I have loved through years and kind of have different categories for me, leadership books Mm -hmm. and books I read uh, just for pleasure. Um, I'm a big uh, whodunit fan, kind of. I love John Grisham's books. I think they're really special to read, and I'm always so intrigued uh, with his mind and how it works and how he can develop a story. And um, So maybe more than one book, it probably would be uh, different people who have touched my life through their books, and uh, that would probably be my answer to your question. Great. Yeah, well, absolutely satisfactory. (laughs) Now to finish up here, uh, I'm very curious to know what you consider to be your greatest accomplishment. Of course, professionally, there's not anything that is more amazing than to win a national title. I mean, you know, you should never discount that because it's hard to do, Mm -hmm. and you have to have all the right pieces in place. Again, for me, um, everything 
the way I look at things may be a little bit different. Most of my stuff is big picture, uh, looking at the composite picture of the opportunities that I've had. And so I think that the greatest thing that I've been able to, that I've been blessed to be able to do is, again, the platform that I was given to impact things in as positive a way as I could possibly try to do. That wasn't anything that, I mean, I was just in the right place at the right time with a lot of great people around me who um, put me in a situation to um, have a platform. So for me to find ways that you can impact people's lives in a positive way, whether that's athletes at Tech or dyslexic kids in Lubbock or um, other individuals or even going out to an animal shelter and, and helping in that in that regard, it's all about those opportunities and attempting to um, take as much advantage as I can of the, the blessings that I've been given to try to impact those in the most positive way. And to me, that is the thing I'm most proud about is that uh, all of us together, um, no matter what teams they played on or whatever, but people from that program have been able to do that on a fairly consistent basis to attempt to change lives. Is that not the most amazing gift you could have? I mean, seriously, it's not any talent of mine, but it's just the place I've been and the time I've been there and doors have opened and given me opportunities to do really special things, and I'm really, really proud of that. Thank you so much, Coach Sharp, for taking out time to come speak with us. This has been so enlightening and so great to hear about the details of what happens at the Leadership Academy for Texas Tech and for everything that you've done. And it's been amazing and an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Thank you. You've done a great job. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much.